Okay, well, you can turn in your Bibles if you want to. Um, go ahead and turn to chapter 16. I was going to say turn to 17, but I want you to turn to chapter 16. We're continuing our study of the patriarchs, and it's the first book of the Bible. It's one of the great books of the Bible. It's so weird, and well, not weird, but the fact that we've been studying the last book of the Bible for a good while, for about a, you know, a year, and now we're going to be studying, of course, the first book of the Bible, and they, they all go together, and it really ties together. Our focus is on Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. We're calling them the patriarchs. We're looking at their lives, their problems, their ups and downs. The emphasis in the first five lessons is on the life of Abraham, one of the most famous men in the world. Uh, three, and I don't, I've, you heard me say this, that three great religions come from Abraham, <clears throat> but I don't consider Christianity a religion, but, but we think of Christianity. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. His name means father of many, uh, the high father, and then his name is changed to the father of many nations. We saw last time his interaction with Lot and what happened there and what, what ends up with Lot. And then that, you know, God, Lot gets over there with Sodom and Gomorrah, and then his enemies come in and take them all off. And Abraham has to go save their lives. When they come back, they meet Melchizedek, which is, I'd say, one of the strangest people in the scripture. Uh, because we don't know anything about his background. We don't you know anything. We don't know how he's the king priest of Salem. We just know he's really a foreshadow of Jesus. And, and then we saw the covenant, cutting that covenant. Well, tonight we're going to see God makes a promise, uh, which he's already said, but he's going to come back again, and he's going to make a promise about the son. And he's going to say everything's going to come through the son that you're going to have with Sarah. And what is so amazing, both Abraham and Sarah laugh about it. Now, Sarah kind of gets in trouble for laughing. Abraham doesn't get in trouble. I don't know why he didn't get in trouble, but he didn't. We'll see what happens there. Well, when you think about names, you know, sometimes names don't mean anything. Sometimes they mean something. When you think about our culture, sometimes people say, well, you're John or you're Paul or you're Joshua. People don't always think about what those names mean, but names do have meaning. And, you know, Peter, the name Peter actually means rock and Paul means little. Uh, and Saul, his other name, Paul and Saul, his other name, Saul, means ask. And Barnabas means encourager. Eli is my God. Joshua is, is the same, is Savior, actually. His name is the same as Jesus. Uh, Moses, to draw out. Adam, Adamah, means the dirt or the ground. And so those names all have something. Well, tonight we're going to see Abram, which means high father, is going to get his name changed to to Abraham, and we're going to see Sarah, which, and we're going to talk about the dispute there a little bit on her name, uh, and her name is going to uh, be changed as well. And so as we look at it on your handouts, Abram becomes Abraham, and Sarah becomes Sarah. And so what does this mean? Why do they have names changes? Why does all that happen? So tonight, as we look tonight, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to see four things. We're going to see the changing of the names, Abram, to Sarah, Abram and Sarah. We're going to see the promise of the son, we're going to see failure. Isn't it funny? These famous people in the Bible, what do we see? Failure. What do we see in our lives? What do, what do I see in your life? No, I'm just kidding. What do, we, what do we see in our lives? It's failure. And then the birth of Isaac, when that's going to be kind of fun. Uh, so as we begin, before we begin, let's think about something. I want to show you something. So we've got Abraham and Sarah. And God made the promise, the covenant to him. It's got land, a what? Seed and a blessing. And we know that this seed uh, is going to be a son, but ultimately the seed is going to be who? The, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, right? It's going to be Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, Jacob to Judah, Judah on down to David, David all the way down to Jesus. That's what it's going to be. So they're supposed to 
they're married and they're supposed to have a baby boy. And we're going to see that this boy's name is Isaac. I, I can't write, of course. Okay, so that's what's supposed to happen. But what happens? So let's think about it. I want you to look at chapter 16. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had not borne him a child, but she had an Egyptian slave woman whose name was Hagar. Now, God, when Abraham was 75 years old, promised he would have a son. So Sarah's 65 years old. She's 10 years younger than he is. So time has gone by a little bit. And guess what? They don't have a baby. And so she says, well, I've got this handmaiden, Hagar, and maybe, notice, Sarah's wife, uh, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had not born him a child, but she had an Egyptian slave woman whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, See now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. He has? Well, maybe up to that point, but what's the promise? That they're going to have a baby, okay? So the Lord's prevented me from having this, so please have relations with my slave woman. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abraham, <laughs> Abraham said, that sounds okay to me. Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. Now, here, let's think about this for a second. This handmaiden, we're going to have children, we're going to have a child. In that culture, sometimes they could use a slave woman and have children through the slave woman. So she's actually saying to him, let's just do that because obviously it's not going to happen between me and you. So maybe you and her can produce the son. Well, what do we know already? That's a bad idea. That, that's not, I mean, that's not going to work because what did God promise? That Abraham and Sarah would have the baby. That's what the whole thing was. And, and so uh, look at verse uh, uh, 16, verse 4. And so after Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abraham's wife Sarah took Hagar, the Egyptian, her slave woman, gave her to her husband Abram, his wife. Then he had relations with Hagar. She conceived and when Hagar became aware that she had conceived, her mistress was insignificant in her sight. You know what she did? When she started having a baby, she said, you know what? I'm actually better than you, even though I'm your slave. I'm better than you are because I, I have the kids, and you don't. I have a child, and you don't. And so what, what, so what did Sarah do? She said, well, take the baby. And so how old? And I just want you to think about it. So they had this boy. His name is Ishmael. And so they have this child, and later on, as we go a little bit further on, and down in verse, chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, here's what we find out. So Hagar bore a son to Abram, and Abram named his son, to whom Hagar gave birth, Ishmael. And Abram was how old? He's now 86 years old. This was 11 years later. So this 11-year time period has happened, and now she is what? 76 years old, and they have a son, but it's Ishmael. It's not Isaac. It's not the son that's promised. And what we're going to find, there is a problem, because who is this boy? And why, Abraham, why did you do this? Why didn't you say, no, 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 we better wait, because God said it's going to happen. Sarah was trying to get God's blessing by human effort. She was going to try to make it happen. Sometimes we think uh, we can just make it happen, or we should do this, or it doesn't matter what we do, as long as we, you know, as long as we're happy, as long as we think we're doing okay. 
And sometimes, and so she thought, I'm just going to do it. And Abram went along with it. Now, what should have happened? What should have happened? Abram should have said, no, no, honey, listen, I know we're getting older. I know we're getting older, but God said the promise. So now watch what happens. We're going to see the changing of the names, okay? Chapter 17, so we'll turn over to chapter 17. Look at verse 1. It says, now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham, uh, Abram and said, now well, how many years have passed? 13 more years, right? He's 99. How old is she? 89. Okay. Now, things are, they still don't have a baby. How old is this boy now? 13. He's 13. Okay. He's not a little child anymore. He's 13 years old. And so notice what happens. God appears. It says, Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty. What does God Almighty mean? Does anybody know? Well, first of all, I want you to know, he says, I'm God. I'm the, uh, the, the boy, 13, there's been 13 years. He says, I am the God who does what? Who provides. And, and by the way, the Hebrew here is El Shaddai, God the providing one. Everybody knows the song, El Shaddai, El Shaddai. And uh, uh, the word El Shaddai or Shaddai means a, like a mountain. Uh, and uh, actually means a word for breast. I'll just tell you honestly with you. That's what it has the idea of the provider. And he says, I'm God Almighty. I'm, I've appeared to you. I'm God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will make my covenant between me and you. And I will multiply you exceedingly. So what has God just told him? Back when you were 75, I told you you were going to have more kids than you could imagine. Now you're 99, and I'm telling you, you're going, to, I'm going, to, you're going to have so many kids, you can't imagine it. He's almost 100 years old. I'm the God who provides. Walk before me. Live blamelessly. Be pure. Why is he telling him that? Because they've blown it. They blew it. They've got a situation in which Sarah and Hagar do not get along Abram loves this boy right here and says, well, maybe he could be the one. They're not trusting God. And God calls him and says, you better start trusting me. You're 99. She's 89. I've come to you. And I'm telling you, walk before me. I will make my covenant between me and you. And I will multiply you. And then Abram fell on his face. And God talked with him saying, as for me, behold my covenant with you. You will be a father of what? Of a what? multitude of nations, no longer shall your name be Abram, big daddy, but your name will be Abraham, father of many nations, for I have made you the father of the multitude of nations. He said, I'm going to make this covenant with you. And he's calling him Abram, means high father, exalted father, great dad, but now he's going to be Abraham, the father of many nations. So what has God just told the man who's 99 years old? You, you didn't trust me. Sarah and you are supposed to have the child and all these people are going to come through y'all too, but you've gone over here. And now we got a 13-year-old boy we got to deal with, right? What are we going to do with him? Well, so he said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. You'll have so many offspring. And by the way, is how many peoples have come from Abraham? Oh my gosh. Countless numbers of people who have come from Abraham. Um... So he says, you'll no longer, oh, wait a minute, let me go back. He says, you'll no longer be 
called Abram my father, you're going to be called Abraham the father of many nations. It's going to be an amazing thing. Nations will come from him. And then he goes on and, and, and goes on in verse 6 and says, I'll make you exceedingly fruitful. I'll make nations of you. Kings will come from you. I'll establish my covenant between you. What if, what if you were there? What if God was telling you, I'm going to make you so fruitful you won't believe it. I'm going to make kings come from you. Nations are going to come from you. And then he says something in verse 8. And I will give to you and your descendants after you the land where you have lived as a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as a what kind of possession? Everlasting possession. Remember, this is the key, the land. He says, you're going to have so many kids and you're going to have the land too. That's what you're going to have. And it, it's almost, he said, so the, the land of Canaan, the promised land. And so the, the, he's, just, he's there and God, now let me ask you something. Could God have said, okay, you blew it. I'm going to find somebody else. Sometimes when we blow it, what do we think? We don't have a second chance. Yeah, we don't. Or God's not going to use us. Or God's going to, well, I blew it. God's not going to use us. What does God say? I will always use you. I will use you for my glory. Just be faithful. What does he tell Abraham to do? Walk before me. Be blameless. Live godly. A person who's blown it, and every one of us in this room have blown it. What can we say before God? God, I just want my life to count for you. Just use me for your glory. I want to live for you. I want my life to count for you. And he will use us for his glory. That's what God does. That's how he is. And so we go a little further along, and, and we're going to get the sign of the covenant. Now, how, how's Abram, or how's God going to show Abraham and remind Abraham of this promise? Watch what he does in verse 10. Oh, the golden nine. And God said further to Abraham, Now for you, you shall keep my covenant and your descendants after you through the generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants and every male among you shall be what? Circumcised. You shall circumcise in the flesh of your foreskin. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He says, look at every male. From you on down, everybody got to do that. The whole idea is circumcision, the foreskin of the male organs. This is what we're going to do. This is going to be the sign of the covenant for the Jewish people. That's what it's going to be. All the males, look at verse 12. He says, every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout all your generations, including a slave is born in the house or is brought with money for the foreigner or who is not among your descendants. He basically says, everyone connected with you, Abraham, is going to have to be circumcised, and that is the sign of the covenant. I remember one of my Hebrew professors at Dallas Seminary, that, or he taught Hebrew at Dallas, the, the sign of circumcision would be a reminder to Abram of God's promise and to live righteously as one under God's covenant. So I want you to understand, God has come to Abram and said, you've got to live righteously, you've got to be godly, you've got to do what I tell you to do, I'm going to give you land, I'm going to give you seed, and then i got a sign, a sign that you belong to me and that you're going to do what I've told you to do. And then he does something really unique. Look at verse 15. Then God said to Abraham, and he's already changed his name, As for your wife Sarah, you shall not call her by the name Sarah, but, you shall, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a... Now notice carefully. I will give you a what? 
Y'all got your Bible? A son by her. Listen, he says the son is going to be through this woman, not this woman. And he said, I'm going to change her name from Sarah. Sarah, which, and, and let me tell you, I've read everything. I used to teach just dogmatically that Sarah meant nagger and Sarah means princess. And, then, and, and, and right now you can still go to books and mo- many scholars and say, well, Sarah has an idea of a nagger and Sarah has the idea of a princess. But I've also found everything I could find that says Sarah the, has an idea of princess, but Sarah has a mighty princess. And so it's like he changed her from princess to mighty princess, just like he changed Abraham from high, big daddy to father of many nations. So I, I don't think we can be really fair completely and say that the name Sarah means nagger although we, I've taught that before. <laughs> and who knows, she may have been a nagger. But anyway, that's the deal. And, and, and so Sarah is the mighty princess. She, he's, you know, the, Abraham will be the father of all the nations. This, verses 16, chapter six, uh, uh, verse 16, I will bless her and I will give you a son by her. I will bless her. She'll be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. And this is what's amazing. This is the key. You two. I picked you two, not you two. And not this boy. He's a nice boy. Actually, he's not going to be a nice boy. He turns out to be a wild donkey of a man. Okay? And fights with everybody. And we know who his descendants are. And so here we go. So Abraham to Sarah. And he says, this woman's going to be the one. Wow. Wow. Is that good news? I would say, well, that's really good news. That's really good news. So Abraham, or Abraham now uh, basically is going to what? What is he going to do? He fell on his face. How did Abraham respond? Verse 17, look what he does. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said, In his heart will a child be born to a man who is 100 years old, and will Sarah, who is 90 years old, give birth to a child? He's thinking, you know, it's, you know the baby's got to come sometime, but it can't happen right this second. So by the time the baby comes, I'll be 100, and she'll be 90. Oh, my gracious. Can that really happen? And what's he doing? What's he doing? He's laughing. And, you know, uh, sometimes the promises of God seem almost too good to be true. Isn't that right? What do you have to do to go to heaven? Absolutely what? Nothing. You simply believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. He's done it all. He paid for your sins. He rose again. He conquered death. He did it all. He says, I have a gift for you. And you say, a gift? What do I have to do for it? What do you have to do for a gift? Absolutely nothing. By grace you're saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. And so, so many people, when you tell them that you can believe in Jesus Christ and you're saved forever, and they say something like, that's too easy. No, that's got to be more than that. The promises of God sometimes seem too good to be true. That You mean all you do is simply believe? Well, verse 18. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God, could we, could we pick this boy? Could we pick this boy? I mean, he's my son. I know it's not, it's not the right woman, but could we, could we pick, uh, could we pick this one? And look at verse nineteen. But God said, "No." But your wife Sarah 
will bear you a son, and you shall name him Isaac. And guess what I'm going to do? I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants. See, the promise to Abraham and the promise to Isaac are the same. And he said, no, 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 it's not this boy. No, it's not this woman. No, it's this woman and this boy. And what's his name? And what does Isaac mean? The name Isaac means laughter. That's what the name means. And so the sign of the covenant is the idea there's going to be the offspring of Sarah uh, and Abram. Boy, it's amazing what's going to happen. That's going to be who it is. Through Isaac, the descendants will come, then to Jacob, and then the 12 sons, and then to Judah, and on down to David, and then finally to Jesus Christ. So Abraham did the sign of the covenant. And what, what, what was that? The sign of the covenant. Ishmael and all the servants of the household were all circumcised. So I want you to look at something. Uh, look, look at uh, verse 24. Uh, well, let's, 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 uh, verse 23. Then Abram, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all the slaves who were born in his house and all those he bought with money, every male among the men of Abraham's household, and circumcised the flesh of the foreskin on that very day, as God said to him. Now Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And his son Ishmael was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of the foreskin. On that very day, Abraham was circumcised as well as his son Ishmael and all the men of his household who were born there, they were, why, this is the why. Why are they all getting circumcised? Sign of the covenant. Sign of the covenant. That's the sign for you. What did Jewish people call Gentiles? Uncircumcised. And, and that meant unclean. That was the idea. So, wow. We have seen that they blew it. And God comes back and says, get right with me, live righteous with me. The promise is going to be right here. It's not going to be right here. It's going to be with this son. Even if you want this son, the answer is no. It's going to be this son and you, and, and you're 99. You're going to be 100. By the time it all happens, you're going to be 100, and she's going to be 90. So do you want to see it? Want to see the promise of the son. Chapter 18, look at verse 1. Now the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. Now, in that day and time, I mean, here's Abraham. and You've got to remember, they got, there's 300 and something, 318 people that are his servants or slaves and people who work with him. And then there's other family stuff and everything. They're all, they're all there. And so it's not like just a tent sitting out in the middle of nowhere. So Abraham is at his tent and he can look out and see a long way. And then it says that the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. Now, God is going to come. God is going to come back and tell him exactly when the baby's coming. And so it said the Lord. The Lord, By the way, it's the, the personal name of God, the YHWH, the Lord. That's the personal name of God. Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, there's going to be people coming, you know. Notice it says... When he raised his eyes and looked, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, bowed down to the ground, and said, My Lord, if I found favor in your sight. Well, I, how does Abraham know that it's God? Okay, you're sitting out there. You can see for a long way. Nobody's coming. And then you look up, and there's three people standing right there. Where'd they come from? 
Who do you think this is? It's God and who? A couple of angels. That's probably what it is. Because we're going to see later on that the angels are with God are going to be the angels to go to Sodom and Gomorrah and get Lot out of there. So probably this is who this is. He realizes they come. They just appeared. They just appeared. How did Abraham know is that God, they just appeared? So what does Abraham do? He decides, well, I better... I bet, you know, better be a good host and cook, get some food for him. And so it says that, uh, it says in verse 4, uh, Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and make yourself comfortable. I'll bring a piece of bread so you can refresh yourself. He went running in and told Sarah, said, get, go get an animal, kill it, let's get it. we got to feed these people because, I mean, this, this is something special. This is something special. He thought, maybe this is God. See, they just appeared. He bowed down and worshipped. He hurried to do this. I mean, Abraham, if you, if you really want to be honest, Abraham is a famous man even this time. And Abraham is one of the richest men in the world at this time around all of these people. But Abraham is scurrying around like he's a slave because he now realizes that this is God. So as they get out, they go get the food. Can you picture him? She makes it all. He brings it out. Says, we all eat. And they eat. And while they're in there, God talks. Chapter 18, look at verse 9. Then they said to him, Where is your wife Sarah? And he said, There in the tent. So Sarah's in the tent. Now, if you can imagine, he's sitting out front. God and the two angels are there. Then there's the tent door. And then she, she, women didn't usually eat with the men. Let's just be honest. She's in the tent, but you know her. She wants to know what's going And she's probably behind the flap. And she's going, What are they talking about? I wonder. What is going on there? And so, in verse 10, he says, I will certainly return to you at this time next year. And behold, your wife Sarah will have a son. And Sarah was listening to the tent door which was behind them. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, past age. Sarah was past childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself. Notice she didn't laugh out loud. She laughed to herself saying, After I become old, I'm going to have pleasure in my Lord being old also. So God says, about this time next year, about this time next year, you're going to have a son. See, by that time next year, he'll be 100 and she'll be 90. And how old will Ishmael be? 14. Okay? So you got to realize that when Isaac is born, Ishmael is 14 years older than he is. So I just want you to think about that. Think about the promises. Genesis 12, you'll have offspring. Genesis 13, you'll have offspring. Genesis 15, look to the stars. Genesis 17, you'll have a son. Genesis 18, next year, he tells him exactly when you'll have a son. Well, she was past childbearing, and they've waited 25 years. And sometimes, when have you ever said to God, would you do this? And it doesn't happen, and it doesn't happen, and it doesn't happen, and it doesn't happen. And you think maybe it's not going to ever happen. And you can almost see them going, it's not going to ever happen. And But God said, no, no, it's going to happen. And then he actually says, next year, a year from now, she'll have the baby. She'll have the baby. She laughed. She said, ah. uh, she laughed to herself. Uh, we're too old. It was to herself. It wasn't out loud. Let me ask you something. Uh, if you don't say it, can God know it? <laughs> if if you don't laugh out loud, does God know you laugh to yourself? He does. And so, how did Sarah respond when she saw this? She laughed out loud. She she laughed to herself, not out loud. And then look at verse thirteen. This is what I love. Uh, 
uh, verse 12 again, so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I become old, I'm, I have that. But the Lord, verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I actually give birth to a child when I'm old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Look what he says. Is anything too hard for me? Is anything too, let me ask you something. Can he do anything? I mean, if we, he says, be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Do what? Let your request be made known to God. Can God answer any prayer that's based on his will, but, but, but you can just lift up and say, oh, Lord, would you do this? Oh, could he possibly do anything, right? Except sin and go contrary to all that. But, but is anything too difficult for the Lord? Once again, he's El Shaddai. In our lives, is there anything too difficult? God can do the impossible. I'll return in a year. And watch what happened. He, he, he tells her, 1815. So Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, but she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. <laughs> Have you ever said to God, I didn't really do that? And then he goes, yeah, you did. You know you did. And you go, yeah, I guess I did. Good. He didn't laugh. Did you laugh, Sarah? Ah, well, I laughed him to myself. But you laughed. Yeah, I was afraid. She was afraid. Did you know that they were afraid? But if you read Hebrews 11, it says she grew strong knowing she was going to have the baby. And if you read Romans chapter 4, God, uh, Abraham says, it says that Abraham believed God and was confident that whatever God promised, he was able to do. So after this, they changed. Instead of laughing and going, what are we going to do? They said... We're going to trust God and that whatever he says is going to come to pass. Do you believe that God is able to do whatever he has promised? How many people have you ever talked to that when you talk to them and they talk about going to heaven and we say things like, when you believe in Jesus Christ, you get eternal life, and they say, yes, I know, and you have believed in Christ. Yes, I have believed in Christ, so you have eternal life. I hope so. I've told this story, and most of you know it, but I got called to the hospital uh, one time. It's been about five, six years ago. little lady was dying, and she wanted a pastor. Nobody, she didn't know anybody. The nurse on the floor knew me. She called me. Would you come up here? I came up there, and I started talking to the little old lady, and we talked, and I said, let me ask you something. Uh, have you understood about Jesus? Have you ever believed in him for eternal life? Oh, yes. I asked, so you have trusted Christ to give you eternal life? And she said, yes. I said, so isn't it wonderful to know that you have eternal life? And she said, I hope so. And I said, well, no, I said, you, you don't have to hope so. You, you can know. Do you know, and I even quoted, you know, these things are written to you who believe in the same as so you can know you have eternal life. And I said, so you believed in Christ, right? You have trusted in him as your Savior, and he has promised you eternal life. And she said, that's right. I said, so you know you have eternal life. And she said, I hope so. And I talked to her for an hour, and she never said, I know so. She said, I hope so. And for so some people... It's just hard. They just don't grasp the promises of God. And sometimes the promises of God seem so great. Yes, question. What do you I think that she, but based on my talking with her, I think she had believed in Christ for eternal life. I just don't think she had assurance of salvation. I think she had gotten confused in her life. And even though she would say, yes, I, I have believed in Jesus. And I know I'm going to heaven in that sense. But then she could say, but I hope I am. Because some people, 
it's like they think I, I, I've got to hang on or I've got to do something right to get there, even though they have already believed in Christ. There are people who never believe in Christ and, and they, they think they've got to hang on and do something good works. Those people are never saved. I think by talking to this lady, I think she had believed in Christ for eternal life. She just couldn't bear to say, I know it, which broke my heart. Cause, but, uh, and so that happens. And, 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 and sometimes... Uh, we talk to people about salvation, we talk to people about Christian life, talk to people about the Word of God, talk to people about prayer, and so many people go, well, I hope so, or I don't know. And you say, well, what does the Bible say here? Well, I, don't, I just don't know. And, and so sometimes the promises of God and the truths in God's Word, sometimes people have a hard time believing them. Uh, do you believe Jonah was swallowed by a big fish? I mean, I do. Do you believe God parted the Red Sea? Uh, Gene and I, we turned on the, what, you, what was it, that channel? A YouTube, to, and we saw this thing about this guy was going to take and show how God brought the Israelites out of Egypt. And I thought, oh, this will be fun. So I clicked on it, and the guy's good. He, he started talking, and he talked about how God did this. Came to, and the, But when he got to the plagues, he basically said, he basically said, all of these plagues were man-made. They, they just got, uh, when, when God, uh, uh, you know, changed the river to blood, it wasn't really blood. It was just something in the water that came up. And when it came out of the water, it made it look like it was blood. <clears throat> and then because of that, then frogs all came out of there because the frogs were actually in there. And then after the frogs came out, the flies came. And, I, and he kept, everything he said was some kind of thing. And I wanted to say, I wish I could have talked to him. I said, well, okay. <clears throat> so when there was darkness, which you said there was darkness over the whole land, but there wasn't darkness in Goshen where the Jews were. And there weren't flies where the Jews were. And the firstborn did. And he talked about how every firstborn child died. It was from the disease. But how come none of the Jewish firstborn died? And why did only firstborn people die? And I mean, you just started going through every one of these things and saying, how come there were, you know, darkness here, but not darkness here? How come none of these animals died and these animals? I mean, he couldn't answer that. And so people, they just have a hard time saying God brought the plagues and they were, and on a certain day he brought the plagues and, and, but they just have trouble saying that. And so Abraham and Sarah, they, they had trouble believing and God said, it's not here, it's here, and you're going to have to trust me. This land, you're going to have a son, and the promises to you are going to be the promises to him. And so, he's going to return in a year. He'll have a son. It was fulfilled, it'll be fulfilled in chapter 21. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Nothing. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Well, let's look at chapter tw uh, chapter 20 because we're going to see, once again, failure. Now, we already saw some failure. What was the failure here? They, they, didn't, they didn't trust God that they would have the baby. They were getting older. They said, let's try it this way. And now, they're right at these ages, and, and, and this boy is now about 14, and what's going to happen? Well, watch what they do. And once again, you want to say, Abraham, uh, can you not learn anything? And let me say this. I can say, JB, can you not learn anything? 
Do we do the same things over and over and make the same mistakes sometimes? And, and sometimes when we make a mistake or sin or do something wrong and it's the same one over and over, sometimes we think, it's too late for me. It's never too late. God loves you beyond what you could imagine. What do you do when you do the same thing again? What do you do? Confess it. And as the Bible says, confess it and forsake it. But, you know, we're so weak sometimes. Okay, turn to chapter 20. Okay, flip over because I've skipped some parts of this because we want to see chapter 20. And look at, uh, we're going to see failure. This is the third time to fail already. And uh, we're going to see something. Abraham falls the same as last time. The same as last time. What happened here? The one thing we can learn, I I read this the other day, I like this. It says, the one thing that man learns from history is that man doesn't learn from history. (laughs) I mean, we just do the same things over and over again, you know. How, How has Abraham failed? Think about this. He lied about Sarah. He had Hagar for a wife, not trusting God for the son. And now he's going to go to Gera and lie about Sarah again. He's going to do the same thing. Now, let me ask you a question. About how old are these people? Is Sarah still good looking at 90 years old? Obviously. Uh, So let's see what happens. Look at chapter 20. Look at verse 1. Now, Abraham journeyed from there toward the land of the Negev, that means the south, and settled between Kadesh, as Kadesh Barnea, and Shur, and he lived for a time in Gerah. Okay, so he goes down to this place, and, and it's hard to see on this map, just to give you an idea. So he leaves. Here's Gera right here. He's been living. Here's Bethel. Here's been where they've been living, going back and forth and around. And they leave there, and we don't know why, and they leave there, and they don't go to Egypt where they did the last time. They come down to this town called Gera, and Gera is, Gera is, a, big, is a big town. It's got a king. You know, what normally happened in those days when, when you got bigger, you would have a wall around your city, and you usually had somebody that was like a leader or a king or somebody that directed the people. And so, and that's why there was the battles and they'd have the walls. And, and in some cities, some towns, that if they weren't big enough to have a wall, they built a tower, a round tower, and then they, people, when they were afraid, they could run in the tower, climb up to the top of the tower, close it off, and as people attacked them, they would throw things down from the tower. And, and that, that was a summer protection. We don't know, but we think Gera was a fairly good-sized town. So Abraham, look at verse 1 again. Abraham journeyed from the south toward the land of the Negev, settled between Kadesh and Shur, and he lived for a time in Gera. Okay, so what's going on there? As we said, Gera is large enough to have a king. It was a city-state. When he gets there, he does something that he's done before. And here's, here's what we're going to see. He's going to go to Gera, and he's going to say that Sarah was his sister, not his wife. This is the second time. Verse 2, And Abraham said of Sarah, of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. There's this king there, and his name is Abimelech. And Abimelech, as you can look at his last name, Melech, it means king. His name is the idea of, of, of a king. And so, so Abimelech, king of Gera, sent men and took Sarah. Okay, He'd going after a 90-year-old woman. She must be beautiful. She must be young-looking. I mean, let's just face it. And so what happens? He says Sarah was his sister. So Abimelech planned that, he, that she'd be one of his wives. And so what happens here? Suddenly Sarah is now with Abimelech. She's not with Abraham. 
What does that mean? We got a problem. What's the promise? Abraham and Sarah produce Isaac. Laughter. And now Sarah's over here. Why is she over there? Because Abraham lied. Now let me ask you a question. Was she his sister? Half, yeah, half-sister. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, you can, you can say something and it doesn't always mean it's true. Sarah was 90 years old, still a beautiful woman. So now here's the problem. It's going to jeopardize the coming seed. They, the child is by Abraham, not Abimelech. Think about that. Sometimes you read the Bible and we just read it fast. It's, it's sort of like, what if, what if Haman could have killed all the Jews? What if in the Egyptians had drowned every, Egypt, every Jewish boy and there were none left? What if Herod got and killed Jesus before they got out of there? I mean, you start going through history and you say, what if? And you say, what if Sarah never gets back with Abraham? What's going to happen? Wow. Well, look what happened, verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, Now this is the God coming to a pagan king. Now let me ask you something. Have you anybody read this before? Anybody studied this before? What kind of man is Abimelech? You know what? I think he's a good man. Watch what happens. But God came to Abimelech in a dream that night and said to him, Behold, you're a dead man because of the woman who you've taken, for she is married. Listen, a king might have ten wives, but he's not going to supposed to take somebody else's wife. Let me ask you this question. When King David was king, did he have more than one wife? Was that right? No, well, but when, did David get, let's, I'm going to say this in a bad way. Did David get in trouble by having a lot of wives? I mean, he got trouble from it. Because yeah, if you have more than one, you got real trouble. But uh, you, if you have one, you got trouble. But anyway, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, when did David get into trouble? When he had somebody else's wife. Okay. So Abimelech has a number of wives. But what happens? God comes to him and said, Behold, you're a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is what? Married. Oh, my gracious. You can see Abimelech saying, What? What? Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa. The, the, this man came, and this is his wife, his sister, and I, she, I thought she'd be a great one to go with the wives that I have. I mean, that's what I thought. So, I mean, I wasn't really doing... Something bad, I, I didn't think, because I noticed what he says. Now, uh, now, Abimelech had not come near her. He hadn't had sexual relations with her yet. He said, Lord, will you kill the nation even though we're blameless? Did he not say to me, she's my sister? And she herself said, he's my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I've done this? He said, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I, didn't, know that this, I didn't know that this woman was married. I didn't know that this was his wife. I thought that she was just his sister. And, and you know, he's a rich man, and I'm, I'm a rich man. I'm a king. Uh, I, I mean, I didn't, know, I didn't know what was going on. Then God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart, You've done this. Wow. I tell you, I think Abimelech's okay. What do you think? And then look what he goes on to say. And also, I kept you 
from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. God protected. Who's God protecting here? Uh, well, and who else? Sarah. I mean, think about this. They're not supposed to be together. She's supposed to be with him. And God says, uh, you got her, but I, I kept y'all from being together. Because I, this is not the plan. This is not the plan. See, we already got Abraham with this one. And then we got Sarah with this one. And we're saying, would y'all just leave well and Ness alone and get back together? Right? That's what you want to say. And we look at our own lives and we say the same things. We say, if we would just quit messing around, we'd, things would be better for us. And so look at the next verse. Uh, verse 7. Now then, return the man's wife, for he's a prophet. Did you ever think of Abraham as a prophet? And he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, know that you will certainly die, and all who are yours. If you don't get this woman back to her husband, you'll die. And if you do, he'll pray for you. Because he's a prophet. He's one of my prophets. He's one of mine. You need to restore her. Wow. So, this, I mean, this is wild. Uh, what would you do if you're Abimelech? Everybody get away from the woman. We got to get her back to her husband. Verse 8. Or verse, let's see, did we do verse 7? Yeah. So Abimelech got up early in the morning, called all his servants, told them all these things in their presence, and the people were greatly what? Frightened. Frightened. That's fear. It's fear. And, 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 and uh, the fear of the Lord is, is more, it's not like uh, they already know that God says, I'll kill all of you. And that scares them. But then the idea of knowing that God is who he is and what God has done and all of those things. And when we talk about fear of the Lord, and the Bible talks about God, you know, people say, oh, it's a God-fearing man. Uh, I remember hearing that growing up, and it sounded bad, like you ought to be afraid of God. But we're not supposed to be afraid of God. We're just in awe of his power and his majesty. So Abimelech is going to raise three questions. I want you to think about the three questions, uh, verses 9 and 10. Look what Abimelech says. Abimelech said, to, then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I sinned against you that you brought on me, on my kingdom, this great sin? You have done this to me that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What have you encountered that you have done such a thing? He raises three questions. What have you done? What did I do? And what have you done that caused this? Why, why would you even think of something like this? Now, let me ask you a question. Who's supposed to be the godly one here? Then it's supposed to be Abraham? Who's the one that has blown it? Abraham. Who's the one that's done right? Abimelech, best we could tell. And you know, when you think about it, this, this pagan king is basically getting on Abraham for not doing right. What, what have you done? You get, what did I do? What, what have I done to cause? And what... What could have caused such a thing? I like the, the way he says it. He says, you've done this thing. Abimelech, this is verse 10, says, What have you encountered that you have done this thing? What has gone on in your life that will cause you to do something like this? You ever thought about that? I remember one time I was counseling uh, a guy. He's a teenager, and he ran away from home. 
And I, parents, I knew him well, so we caught him and got him, brought him back. And I remember saying, what is, what's going on with you? Why are you going to run away? What's happening to you that you want to run away from your family? So, I mean, that, you know, sometimes we, and that's what Abimelech is saying. What, why, why, what have you done? And what did I do? And what could have caused this? And so Abraham is going to answer. And think about it. We're going to see it in the next three verses. He's going to say, first of all, why did you, what, what, have I, what, what, have, you know, what have you done? Well, he was afraid. And then, what did I do? Nothing. It was a partial truth. She's my half-sister. And then, what could have caused this? Well, this has been my plan from the beginning. Every time I get into a tight situation, I tell about it. She's my sister. So look at, look at verse 11, okay? It's fear. Look what he says. Abraham says, because... Abraham said, because I thought surely there is no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Was there fear of God in that place? There sure was. Was Abimelech seemed like he was a pretty good guy, wasn't it? Now, I mean, kings in those days had a lot of wives and so we could say that was bad. But Abimelech is showing, care. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you, you hit right on the key of everything, isn't it? Why do we sin? So we want, and sometimes we sin because we're afraid of people or what they're going. You know, why is it sometimes we don't share our faith? Because we're afraid we'll lose a friend, or we're afraid somebody will make fun of us, or we're afraid we'll get into trouble, or something like that. You're right. So Abraham was afraid. He basically said, I was afraid there would be all ungodly people here and y'all might kill me. That's what I think he's saying. He, he says, I, I thought surely there is no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. He said, so I was afraid. So the first thing is, afraid. And, and we got to be careful, right? Because should we ever be afraid? He says, cast all cares upon him. He cares for you. Uh, Hebrews says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. What should you fear? Uh, so, uh, the one person I read this said, "The fear of God delivers us from the fear of men." Yeah. yeah and so yours is exactly you got you got it exactly right. It's exactly backwards. What what's the the second thing? The second thing was the partial truth. Um, she is my sister. He didn't tell him that she was his wife, but it's a partial truth. And we got to be real careful because it's easy to sort of to sort of sort of lie. <laughs> Was he telling a lie? Was she his sister? Yes. yes, but that it's like Satan's coming and says, Don't worry, the day you eat from that tree, you'll be like God. Was that true? They would be like God, knowing right from wrong, but they'd also rebel and everything else. And, and so sometimes um, we say things, we date, do things, we try to rationalize it. Have you ever I mean, have you ever thought about a person sitting in the office and the boss comes in to the person and says, "I want you to call that guy uh, as quickly as possible and talk to him about this certain thing." And you go, "Okay, I will." And then you don't do it. And then the boss comes in and says, uh, "What did the guy say?" And you say, "I I, I hadn't been able to get him yet." <laughs> right? As if you had tried to get him, but you didn't. You know, because you don't want your boss to think you didn't do what he told you to do. So, I mean, so it's really simple and easy to rationalize and have partial truth. To say, well, that, that's the way it is. Um, if, 
could not Abraham have said, in our culture, it's okay to take her and have a son through him? It's, it's okay, isn't it? Isn't it okay to say she's my sister when she really is my wife, but she's also my sister? Isn't it okay that you said the one's going to come through Sarah? And they, but what about this boy? Could, could we pick him instead? Isn't it easy to rationalize things that are not exactly right? And, and, and that's what he did. It was a, a partial truth, so to speak. And, uh, you know, uh, we can get on Abraham all we want to, but guess who does the same thing? We all do. And, and so we want to we wanna keep growing. And so the third thing, and the, the third thing that he said is, this was the plan from the beginning in 2013. Let me, let me read the verses. In 2011, he said, I was afraid. In 2012, he says, besides... She actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And so he does say, uh, well, she is my sister. And then the third thing he says, and it came about that when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you'll show to me. Everywhere we go, say, he's my brother. That's the plan from the beginning. And we want to say, it already didn't work the first time. And now you've did it a second time, and it didn't work a second time. And sometimes we do the same things over and over. And that old saying is, you, you know, you're crazy if you do the same thing over and over and think something different is going to happen, and it doesn't. So what happens now? What happens? What, what did Abimelech do? Verses 14 and 15. Let's read it. Look what he says. So Abimelech then took sheep and oxen, male and female servants, gave them to Abraham, and returned his wife to Sarah to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Settle wherever you please. You know what he's saying in a nice way? Get out. Get out. You can go anywhere you want to. Remember, Abraham had been living. Let me just kind of, He'd been living way up here. And remember, he's coming all the way down to the This is Egypt down here. He's come to Gear. He's been up here at Bethel. And he came down there. Now, Abimelech basically says, look, look around you. Go wherever you want to. But what he's actually saying is, you you got to get away from me. We're going to see, and I don't, I don't know how much I'll go into the detail on it, but Abimelech and Abraham and down further down, because Abimelech is probably a title. It's probably not his name. It's probably a title because we're going to see that there's an Abimelech and if this was the same Abimelech, he'd probably be 150 years old. But anyway, so anyway, we see more of what he does with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and those things later on. It's a nice way of saying, leave, leave. Now, one more thing, and we can see it. Then we can have time for questions if you want to. The birth of Isaac. Finally, it's going to come true. It's going to come true. So look what it says. This is chapter 21. Uh, and I mean, I love this. God's going to bring the promise, divine intervention. And look at chapter 21. It says, When the Lord took note of Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in the old age at the appointed time which God had spoken. Wow. Just what God said. And think about it. Abraham is 100 and Sarah is 90 years old and God intervenes. This is called the son of the promise because it can only happen by God doing it. That's the key. See, this right here, this can happen when men do it. This only happens when God does it. And that's why in the book of Galatians, 
when Paul writes and talks about the son of the promise and the son of the law. And he uses this illustration to show that this is law and this is grace. This is the grace of God. This is works. You come to God not by works. You come to God by grace. It's always the same way. One thing I just hope all of us grasp, whether we're studying this or the book of Revelation or Philippians or Galatians or any books of the Bible, the same truth is all the way through the Bible, that God saves mankind, not because of what mankind ever does, but because God so loved the world that he gave his son. Jesus has done it all, and God is offering a gift. We go all the way back. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. It's always faith. It's always faith whether it's Old Testament or New Testament. It doesn't make any difference. People always want to say different things. They want to add things. Just let me just say this. Don't let people add to it. Don't let people add things to the grace message because God deals with mankind in grace. It's always faith. And so here is the grace of God. This is works of man. This is grace of God. And so what does it say? It says, so Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time. Abraham named his son. He was born to him, the son whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. There he is. That's Isaac. He called the son Isaac. And what does Isaac mean? Laughter. Notice this. means laughter. Both Abraham and Sarah had laughed when God told them of the coming son. Can you imagine Isaac growing up and saying, why is my name laughter? And they'd say, because we laughed when God said we were going to have you. And God promised us you. Let me ask you something. And this is a foreshadow of next week. What would you do with this boy? If you're Abraham and Sarah when this boy's born. This is the promised what? The promised son. This is the one you've waited for for 25 years from the promise, from 75 to 100. This is the boy that the, the covenant is going to come through. There's going to be a land for this boy and his descendants and the seed and the blessing and everything. And you're going to protect this boy, right? And guess what? When this boy's about 14 years old, God is going to tell you to take him and kill him. Could you do that? We'll see it. We'll see it. What if God had told Abraham at the beginning that he'd have to wait 25 years? Well, I don't know. I mean, it didn't work for Abraham. Right. Well, unless you're, unless you're wanting it to happen... You know, it, well, I, I've never found waiting was real easy. How about y'all? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so what, so what happens? So look what he does. Look what the first thing he does. Look at verse 4. Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was what? Eight days old as God had commanded him. Now, Abraham was how old? A hundred years old when his son was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me because everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have given birth to a child in his old age. Wow. So Sarah's response is, wow, laughter and joy. This is the promised son. This is the one they've waited for. Now let me tell you, you remember at the start of the study about two weeks ago, I said that we're going to see a lot about Abraham and a lot about Jacob and a lot about Joseph, but not a whole lot about Isaac. He's called the, the quiet man. And we're going to see 
He is amazing. What is impossible with man is only possible with God. Isaac, it'll be Isaac to Jacob and Jacob to Judah and Judah to David and David down to Jesus as the Savior of the world. Wow. Let's give me give you some applications and we can open it up. Okay, first, let, let's deal with fa- our failure. Let's do it. Let's deal with it. And I, you, I don't know if you have, you, know, you have a little bit of room. I, I was looking at a thing that I had and there wasn't much room on it, but you do have some room. Let's deal with failure. First of all, this, remember, failure is never what? Final. How, how many times do you think I've blown it now for how many times so God's not going what? He's not going to be able to use me or he won't use me or I've blown it too many times. God loves us beyond what we could imagine. And, and, and realize, realize reasons for failure, fear, rationalization, uh, you know, uh, it's it just there. And we don't need to, to be afraid, and we don't need to, we just need to trust God. What it really boils down to is you, you just have to trust God. In fact, that's going to be number two. You ready for number two? I think they're all up there together. No, nope, they're not. Did you, everybody get that one? You just, failure's never final, and just realize some resilience for failure. Let me get everybody get a chance to get that written in if you want to. Because the second one ties right in with it. Tell me when most are ready. So let's deal with failure. Failure is never final. And realize some of the reasons for failure. We, we're afraid. Uh, we, we, we're rebellious. We rationalize sin. We say, well, everybody else does it. Everybody else does it. But, and everybody else does it. Are we lying when we say everybody else does it? No, but that doesn't mean it right for us. Okay, here's number two. Let's trust God to fulfill His promises. If he promises, he will do it. A God who cannot lie. Titus chapter 1, verses 2. Verse 2 says, God who cannot lie promised eternal life. What did he promise every one of us in this room? Eternal life. Do you have it? Don't say, I hope so. <laughs> say, I know so. I have eternal life. And, and so we just, it's the pro- if God made a promise, it's going to be. Fulfilled. Okay, here's the next one. Let's understand that God can do anything. He can't. Nothing's impossible with God. He can take a hundred-year-old man and a ninety-year-old woman and give them a child. That's the promised child. And he doesn't have to do it this way. He doesn't have to do it this way. He does it this way because that's his promise. And he, he he can do anything he chooses to do. Now we all know when I say that he will never go against his character. God can't lie. And things like that. When people say, is there anything God can't do? Yeah, he can't go contrary to his character. He can't go contrary to his promises. He can't lie. He can't, do, he can't sin. So, I mean, if you said, can God do anything? But well, he can do anything and everything as long as it doesn't violate his character. Because uh, he, he can't do that. He can't violate his character. Let's understand that God changes our names. Have you realized that? We go from being a child of the devil to being a what? A child of what? A child of God. That's who we are. We were dead in trespasses and sins. Now we're alive in Jesus Christ. We were sons of the devil. We're now sons of God, children of God. From unbeliever to believer, from unholy to saint. By the way, you're a saint. Do you know that, right? If you grew up in the Catholic Church, saints were somebody unique that only certain people got to be a saint and they had to do certain things, so to speak. But the Bible calls all believers saints. It comes from the Greek word hagias, which means a set-apart one. We're all set apart in Jesus Christ. We are holy and blameless 
in Christ. That's why we're called saints. So let's just understand that God changes who we are in our name. And then finally, let's know and obey the Word of God. Know the Bible, know the promises, know the commands, and obey them. What did he tell to Abraham? Walk before me in righteousness. Because Abraham has blown it. And, and I hate to say it, but did he do it again? And let me tell you what this. What if when they came back, they said, well, no sense trying because we blew it. So he's probably not going to give us the baby that he promised. What, what does he do? He does exactly what he promises.